Welcome to another episode of Relentlessly Resilient, where real people share real life experiences and the tools they've developed to move forward and live their best life. I'm Michelle Scharf. And I am Jenny Taylor. And Michelle, today I am so excited to have my friend Jennifer Funk with us. She is a wonderful, beautiful woman. She's the founder of the Create Hope Foundation. She's a mother of three beautiful girls. And she is what I affectionately call the widow whisperer for my part of town where I live. Um, There was no one whose name came more highly recommended to me after my husband died than this beautiful woman. Everyone said, you've got to meet her. She is brilliant and amazing and such a light for, for women who've lost their spouse. And so, Jen, we're grateful to have you here. And I'm just grateful for your role in my own life, but more grateful that you would be willing to come on and share you, share a piece of you and your beautiful story and the light that you are to so many of us who have learned and continue to learn with you in this widowhood journey. Oh, well, thank you. I'm so happy to be here. All right, so we're going to jump right in. We want you to introduce us to Jen and Brad Funk and just kind of tell us your story, lay a little bit of background for us so we know who you both are and the sweet family you have. Okay. Um, (laughs) I know I'm supposed to do this quickly. That's hard. (laughs) (laughs) So I was trying to think about like what's the, so we do have kind of a fun story how we met. Um, We met on a blind date. And, um, I, I think it was like 2002, probably, um, I had had a million blind dates in my life and I had kind of just got to where I was like, nope, not doing another one. <laughs> I'm done with those. <laughs> but, um, for some reason this went and it was really random. It was like my cousin's friend who I'd met one time in high school, like seven or eight years earlier, like it was really random. They were saying, you know, you need to meet this guy. And. And so I did say, okay, I will go, but I didn't really have any high expectations or anything. I had gone on a million blind dates and those had not been good, (laughs) but, um, I remember he called, um, like the night before. So I had talked to him and we just, and it was really easy to talk to him. And I remember, um, so at this time, so I have a seven-year-old daughter, Tyler, So I was really protective of her and I didn't like I was dating, but I wasn't like, it was just something where it it wasn't the same as dating when you're, you know, without a child. So I was very kind of like cautious and wary of anyone coming into our life and kind of like messing it up or whatever. Yeah, no, that makes (laughs) perfect sense. Yeah. So I was very, um, that was kind of like my biggest thing. And so I just was like, you know, you have to be somebody pretty cool to be able to get through the door here. (laughs) But, um, we talked on the phone and I remember just thinking he was so easy to talk to and it was really fun. And I, um, I remember him telling me about how he flew F-15s in the air force. And I was kind of like, what? And, um, and so the next, so on our blind date, we were going to go flying. And he had like rented a little plane and we were going with another couple. And um, I remember my family saying, we cannot believe you're getting in a plane with this guy. Like you don't know him. <laughs> Stranger what danger. And I remember my mom had answered the phone when he called and she, so he had talked to her about, cause they were just saying like, we're nervous. Like, you know, this, she has a daughter. Like, what are you like? They kind of like gave him a, like a grilling mm-hmm. <laughs> when, what are your intentions with my daughter and granddaughter (laughs) and they um and he just like 
you know, calmed all their fears. He talked about how, you know, the Air Force lets him fly a $35 million jet. This is something he does for a living. It's not just something <laughs> that he does on the side, you know, like, so, and so it, and I felt like after talking to him, I was like, you know, this is fine. We're going to, we'll go fly around in this little plane and it will be fun. And I remember just really hoping that he was like even a little bit cute because I already felt this connection with him and I already felt like he was really easy to talk to. That was something that was new for me. Um, or, and just thinking like, please don't be like seven inches shorter than me. Like I was kind of just really hoping. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I remember driving down to meet him that day and being really excited because he's a total babe. And we went to Which worked out day. well. <laughs> yeah, that part was really good. Um, we went flying and it was really fun. Like I remember listening to him, like talk his little pilot lingo on the radio in the plane and just being like, Oh, I love you. Like, you were so <laughs> like, did you just go on a blind uh, date with well, Top is, Gun? Like I had no chance. There was no way I was not going to fall in love with You're like, I but, hope he's um, not a total schmuck. <laughs> yes. Yes. That's exactly. And so we had this great date and I remember like we dropped the other couple off cause they lived in Salt Lake. And then we like sat in his car and talked just for like hours. And it was, that was, it was something that I remember like consciously being aware of like, this is not normal. Like this is different. Something about him is different. You know what I mean? Like it was, yeah. I knew it in the moment that it was different. And I remember him telling me like the next day was general conference. So like a, we don't go to church that day, like that Sunday, it's like we watch church on TV. And so I remember him he was stationed in Mountain Home, Idaho, and I was in Roy, Utah. So he was driving home and he was saying, you know, he said, maybe I'll, you know, can I stop by and visit you tomorrow? And I remember thinking like, sure, you know, that would be fun. And in my mind, kind of thinking like, I, there's no way I'm going to like get ready on, <laughs> on a day. On a day I, I don't have to go anywhere. On a day that I'm like, just lay around in my pajamas and I'm not like putting makeup on to have some guy not show up. Like that was kind of the mindset I was in. I was a little bit of a hard nut to crack. Like I, I wasn't super trusting and I just was like, whatever. You're being very and, careful. Uh, yes. I was very, very cautious. And so I remember, you know, I was saying, okay, you know, that'd be fun. And me thinking like, I really hope he does come over. I hope he calls, but I'm not going to hold my breath. Like I'm not going to. I'm not going to set myself up to be disappointed about this. And so I remember when he called and said, I'm almost to your house. <laughs> I had like five seconds. Like I think I brushed my teeth. Maybe I for sure did not comb my hair. Like I, it, I was a total disaster <laughs> when he showed up because I was really stubborn. And you had a point to prove. I, yes, I had a point to prove I was not getting ready for somebody who wasn't going to show <laughs> But I remember, so that day, like he came, he met my parents and he met Tyler, my daughter and, and, um, and he was really good with her. It was, that was a new thing for him. Like I bet he was really fun and funny. And, and I remember I walked him out in the car that night when he was going home and he kissed me Whoa. and I, I came back in the house. And like my sister and who with my seven-year-old daughter were like peeking through the windows <laughs> and they like mocked me mercilessly. And, and I remember thinking like, I don't even care. Like I, that was one of those kisses where like music plays and like birds. Sing and you know what I mean? Like I was just like, you're horrible for watching that, but I don't even care. 
And so I remember, um, you know, me saying like, you know, you'll have to call me next time you're in town or something. And he was like, oh, I think I'll be calling you before that. And, and he called me every day since. And oh so gosh. that was, it was kind of just like, that was the beginning. So no looking back. No looking back. I was, he did have to kind of break through my little shell of being extremely cautious. And, and I just had to be like, I wasn't going to involve someone in Tyler's life who, yeah. you know what I mean? Like Absolutely. It, it, that was a big deal. And so we did, we dated for like two years and, um, we, he was in mountain home and I was in Ogden. And so it actually was perfect because we spent a ton of time on the phone. Like we had, like, we talked about everything all the time and it was really a good way to build a relationship. To really get to know each other. Yes. We really got to know each other well. And, um, and you know, we couldn't just like kiss the whole time we were together because we weren't (laughs) seeing each other in person. So that actually, I would highly recommend that like that the long distance was a little bit hard, but for me, it was exactly what I needed. It was something like just really helped me get to know him. And so I had no, you know, when he, he asked me to marry him, he had, he'd been stationed, um, in Florida. And, um, so I went out to visit him like over Christmas. I was teaching school here. I was teaching second grade and, um, he moved and I remember like all my friends saying, oh, he's going to ask you to marry him. And, and I kind of was like thinking, you know, I think that is what he's, I think that's what's going to happen. And he wanted this to be this big surprise. <laughs> and so like he moved and he like legit moved to Florida and didn't ask me to marry him. And I was kind of like, oh, okay. <laughs> like, wait a second. You missed and- a piece. And, and I knew like he moved in December and I was visiting him in December. So I, I was just, I remember going, like going to Florida and being like, okay, I'm either going to come home engaged or single because like, I think I know this is where it's going, but he was like, he had like, he'd measured my fingers secretly and like had this ring made secretly. He was trying, he wanted it to be this big surprise. And I remember being like, okay, I, you should have like, and I mean, and we were, like we were seriously dating. We were telling each other we loved each other. Like we, uh, but he, I was a little too stubborn to ask about, so are you going to marry me or what? Yeah. You're waiting <laughs> for him to kind of make that step. And and he really wanted this to be this big, like romantic gesture surprise. Like he, he proposed to me on the beach in Florida and, and it was beautiful. But I remember thinking like, you could have like, let me in a little bit on this because then I wouldn't have been stressed. Like thinking maybe I'm going to come home single. <laughs> Because Florida's kind of far away from Utah and Idaho. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, that <laughs> long distance probably would not have worked. So, so um, anyway, I went to visit him. He proposed on the beach, and it and it was really fun. And I remember he didn't hear my answer because of the waves, and so he kind of was like, "Well, like, oh no!" And he was he's just like, and he was kind of nervous. And I was like, "That's how I've been feeling for the last six months, buddy." Yeah. So now we're just even. A little bit of payback. <laughs> Oh, Jen, I love it so much. We're going to take a quick break and come back and we want to hear what happens after you say your I do's. Clearly, you don't stay in Utah while he's in Florida. So we want to hear what happens next and we will be right back. All right, Jen, so bring us up to speed. You're in Florida. He proposes. You say yes. And what happens next? Um, So we get married that summer of 2004 and we move to Florida the next day. Oh my goodness. Hop in a, hop, I think it was two days after we, 
we had like our honeymoon night somewhere and then we loaded up a U-Haul and moved to Florida. And I had, I had gotten a job teaching at a school there that was right next to our house. And it was great. And like Tyler enrolled in that school. And then we just, we lived in Florida and he was stationed um, at Tyndall Air Force Base and flew F-15 there for a couple years. Um, we had Sophia, who is um, now 15. She was born in Florida. And um, so we were just like living this little Air Force dream life, which I mean, I was super happy to just go move and support him wherever he, you know, wherever the Air Force took us. And I had a job that was was good to do that because I could teach anywhere. Yeah. And um, we got stationed in Texas a couple years later. So we were at Shepard Air Force Base in Texas. And um, Addie, our youngest, was born there. She was born in October of 2007. And um, we just were you know, live in this little happy life until May 1st. May 1st, when, 2008? May 1st, 2008. Okay, walk us through that day if you can, Jen. Um, we, I was making pancakes for Sophie and Addie. Um, Tyler was at school. She was a sixth grader. And no, she was a seventh grader, sorry. She was a seventh grader. She was already at school. Brad was flying earlies that morning. And so he had gone to work at like 4.30 in the morning. Um, they're like, they're the pilots, their schedules changes. They either fly late or early or whatever. So he just, he was on early. So he had gone in early that day. And um, my doorbell rang. And I remember it was about 9 or 9.30. And I, I remember like picking up Sophie and carrying her to the door with me. And, um, kind of like I could see through the windows and I could see like people lined up at my door. Like there wasn't just one person there. There was a number of people. And as soon as I opened that door, um, you know, it kind of like, I don't know, like I immediately knew, but your mind kind of goes in this slow motion thing. So at my door are about six air force personnel dressed in their blues, which is something, um, you don't ever want to see if you have a husband who's serving. And um, the first guy there was one of our good friends. Like he was, he was first. And as soon as I opened the door, it's kind of like everything is kind of processing. Like I'm like, I know the only reason they come here is because Brad's died, but you're kind of like in slow motion. I felt like I remember they came in and they tried to get me to sit down and I wouldn't sit down. I was just like, like, I just, I remember holding on to Sophie and, and I don't think I said, like, just tell me, but I think, I think like, I wouldn't sit down. I just was like standing over there and they, um, and they said that Brad had been killed. And I remember kind of, like, I think I kind of fainted a little. I don't know that it's kind of a fog. I remember someone helping me sit down on the couch. Well, that's why they want you to sit down. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Your body yes, just. That is, your... that is why they want me to sit down. Right. So I. It's hard I, because our bodies just kind of buckle under the news. It's like, yeah. and, it's, and it I goes. knew, I mean, I knew what they were going to tell me. It's like your brain knows. I mean, there was probably a 30, 45 second window between, you know, them coming in and, and like me opening the door. But it, until you really hear someone say those words, it wasn't really real. Like I just kept, I remember thinking like, please let it be anything else. Like, like maybe his 
his plane went down somewhere, but they don't know. Like I was, it's like, you're kind of just grasping. Holding on to hope. Yes. Anything that you can hope for. So, um, that day is a little bit of a blur. I think those days were a little bit of a blur. I remember, um, the, the man who told me was one of Brad's good friends. He had been in a couple squadrons with him and he actually was a Bishop in our church. And so that was extremely helpful to me because it was someone who knew and loved Brad and um, also would have been someone I would have gone to for support in that situation. So that turned out to be a really wonderful little tender mercy. Um, He helped with everything. Like there's, there's this big flurry of stuff you have to do when there's an in the line of duty death. And, and you don't like, I, I don't know how they do it better. (laughs) I mean, it's, I don't know how to have them change it because it's a nightmare, but it's just, there's a bunch of things that you're meanwhile, just sitting here trying to process that your husband is dead and gone and not coming home to your kids. And, and they're wanting you to sign a million things and do a million things. And so he was great because he just stepped in and did everything like he would bring me things. And so that was a really, that was a really great thing. But um, I remember that day just um, like, it kind of seems like it's not really real. Like it's, it's like, you know, it's real, but you hope it isn't real. And I remember someone went and picked Tyler up from school. So she wouldn't have to find out because they knew, I mean, there had been a, his, his plane had crashed on base. He was flying with a student pilot and, um, Oh wow. It crashed on the base. Were they landing or it was on base. They were, um, coming in for like a touch and go approach and they just lost both of their engines. Like it, like everything went wrong at the, at the most horrible time for it to go wrong. Um, they bailed out and their, their seats collided in the air. And so they didn't get a full shoot before they hit the ground. So both of them died. Oh, Jen. And so, oh, and so, and I didn't yeah. know this, like, I, I, I remember like when they came, I hadn't, but they have smoke rising from the base, you know? So they know like we're in an air force community. Everybody knows there's been a plane crash. If you look out your window, I just happened there's, to, there's no hiding that. it. Yeah. No. And so they, they went and got, Tyler because they didn't want her to find out. And then, and, and I found out later, I mean, there's a bunch of protocol. They take all their phones away. They do, they do certain things on base. So people aren't, um, telling everyone sharing things they shouldn't do, you know, share and mm-hmm. they want it to be done in a certain way. But, um, it was, it was definitely, I mean, it's kind of hard to put into words. Like I don't, yeah, there are not <laughs> words. I, I'm sitting here just envisioning this. Tell us how old the girls were then. You said Ty was in seventh so the girl, grade. So Ty was in seventh grade. She was 13. Sophie was two and a half. And my baby was six months old. And so, how many years ago was this now, Jen? Um, in May, it will be 13. Which oh, is wow. So this is where about. it's been 13 years. And yet it feels like just yesterday to hear you tell it. You know, it is, it's, um, it's, it's not a place I visit often. (laughs) I don't visit that day often, but, um, it does, it's like, time is weird. Um, when I go back to that place, it does, it seems like it's yesterday. And then, and then I look at my girls now who are like, my baby is 13 
And yeah. I think, wow, like time actually kept going. That's strange. Like it's that was sure it rude. Really <laughs> <laughs> Tell us, Jen, what what are the next days and weeks look like? Um, um, you've, you've made it. You've made it thirteen years. What walk us through the initial and the progress and the ups and the downs, if you can. Um, I think I think that the initial shock was just really um, traumatic and something that I think just took me, uh, took me a while to work through. Um, I remember like telling Tyler and, and trying to tell my two-year-old, um, those things are, um, those things were excruciating. And, um, but I do, I feel like there were some tender mercies involved in that, that I probably don't have time to go into today, but I know that, um, like I didn't, one of the things that was, like, I remember, I didn't really feel like alone. Like I felt like Brad was with me, but I was going through this. Like I kept, I remember, I remember looking around and thinking like, I'm going to see him. He's going to pop out. Cause I can feel so strongly that he's here. Like I didn't ever feel like I was left alone to do that on my own, but it was also really weird because it's, because I, you know, he wasn't, it's like another dimension outside of time and space. It, it really is. Like it's, it's just, I remember in those first couple of days, like um, one wonderful blessing was that he, his body wasn't burned. He had landed outside the burn circle. And so that was a blessing um, because I, I wanted to be able to see him. And, um, and he actually, he lost a sister in a plane crash, which is, is insane if you can believe that. So he, when he was 14, his older sister died in a plane crash. So they've lost oh my two, gosh. two in their family and, and she, he didn't get to see her and it was really hard on him. And we had talked about that a lot. And so that was something that I remember asking them that first day and saying, am I going to get to see him? You know, did he get burned? And they, and they don't, they can't tell you anything at the beginning. But um, we did get to see him, and um, that was really good for all of us to be able to. Um, I think not seeing him would have been really hard. Some peace of mind, yeah, yeah. It's and, different for everybody. Um, I remember feeling like I remember walking in one day, like probably that week. Like it's kind of just all a blur, but I remember just feeling like. Like, I think I walked into the bedroom to get Addie because she had woken up and, and just feeling like saying like this, my life is over. Like, I'm feeling like I don't see how, like not trying to be dramatic or, but just like, I'm my, my life is over. Like, I don't know where I go from here or what I do. Um, you know, my husband's died. I have these little babies. I, you know, have a teenager who needed him. Like, it's just, um, it was, um, I was really grateful that I didn't feel like I was doing it alone because I don't know how that, how, I don't know how anyone would ever do that alone. I don't think that that would be possible. I, I hear that, that every dream and every plan you had for the life you and Brad had built was over. I mean, like, like you said, not to be dramatic, but really the trajectory you were on stopped that day. And like yeah. in the Back to the Future movies, you like move to a completely different space-time continuum. So, yes. So, Jen, yeah, well, and, and that was, I remember, um, I think that was one of the hardest things is like the shock and then just like we, 
we eventually moved back to Utah a couple months later because staying in Texas didn't make sense. But I moved home to people who like, besides my family, they didn't know us together because we moved the day after we got married. So like I was moving home to people. Like one of the things that I loved about Texas and our Air Force family was that they loved my husband and they knew him and they knew us together. And so they knew the like life was, you had lived. They they knew what yes. that life was, that world. Yes. Yes. Like they, um, I, I felt like I was leaving everything that had anything to do with Brad and I behind and coming home where I knew we needed to be because family was here. But it was never your and, home with him. No, it was never my home with Brad. And so, and that was, that's gotta really, be just so hard. hard. Like, it was like, I wanted to go around and like explain to people like, like, you don't understand this because you didn't know him. Like, if you knew him, you would realize, like, the magnitude the of this loss. loss. You yeah. didn't. So, like, it, it was, that was kind of a lonely feeling. Like, it, I remember thinking, I'm going to need lots of help with just being okay, leaving, like, our home. Like, I wanted to just pick up our little home and move it here because it was filled with all these memories. Jen, we need to take a break. But I, when we come back, I want to talk to you more about um this process of grief that you went to and how you're helping others today uh, we are uh you know we do this podcast we are in widow groups you're working with people through your foundation and um i think it's really interesting because you hit on a few things like for you it was so important to see his body for somebody else it may have been traumatizing to see his body yeah yeah. And um and so yeah, Jenny actually had shared with me and she just raised her hand so I I I I am going to assume the go ahead to share this, but she chose not to see um Brent's body. And yeah, and that's okay. And so I I think when we come back I'd love to hear more about this process, what you went through and then talk a little bit about what you've noticed since becoming a widower and how to help those that find themselves in these situations. We'll be right back. And we're back. Wow. I I can't even imagine. This is, you're going about your day. He's on a training run. There's no way in your your mind that you you worry every single day. You just can't do that. So you're expecting him to walk in the door. You answer the door. There's six gentlemen in they're full uniforms and you know, you know that that is not the door answer that you want to answer. That, I I have not had a military spouse. That is, to me, seems like the worst door to open. It, yeah. And it's, I mean, I remember feeling like this like should be like, this is like a scene from a movie. This isn't really my totally. life. Cause like you've seen those things in the movies. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And like, how did I yeah. get the leading lady role yeah. in this yes, movie? This is, I do not remember auditioning for this, and I don't want this part. Yeah. <laughs> it, all of a sudden, your Top Gun guy became kind of like Goose in that movie. Like, yeah. you know, you, you get the notification, and it's devastating. I mean, it, it is absolutely, I can't even, I can't even, I, I mean, I've lost a spouse. I understand what that's like, but to open yeah. that door, in my mind, I just think, I don't know how, I think my body would explode at that point. Yeah. Like it's, you just know. Yeah, without, probably why it's not super clear. I don't really. Right. <laughs> it's all a blur. Exactly. Yeah. 
It's, it's just intense. It's an intense thought to think about. And, you know, we have people out there serving our country and, and serving the American people all the time. And and we don't really actually hear very many of these stories. And we don't really understand the impact of the lives when when these things happen. You know, we don't know their families. We don't know their life situation. And it's yeah. easy to kind of just think that he was a young single guy and that there's not a young family behind him that's been impacted, you know? Yeah. It's yeah. sad. Well, I'm sorry for your loss. And I do thank you for not only his service, but uh, your your service to s- supporting him. Oh, thank you. It takes special people to marry those <laughs> that are serving in our military. Tell me about your foundation and how you are moving moving okay. the, this experience um, forward. So I know, I think like when I look back over kind of like my grief journey, I don't know. It sounds weird to call it a journey. I don't know what but else it is. To call it's it. a journey. Oh, I don't know what else you could exactly call it. what it's I a call journey. It. Oh yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's a never ending journey. It, it, <laughs> it's something that I think one of the only things that I would change is that I would meet other widows sooner. Yeah. Um, I didn't, I didn't meet my first, I mean, I had a couple people reach out to me and I remember just being in a place where I was like, you know, I have family and friends who are amazing supports. I don't want to talk to some weird lady that I don't know. Like it just was, it was really overwhelming. So I did not meet anyone. And it was about five years out. I think that, um, I discovered a charity that was for military widows and I really felt drawn to it and felt like I needed to go. And, um, and it was something that was really life-changing for me. Like it was, um, you know, we, we met in Seattle at a retreat. None of us had anything in common except for that we had lost husbands in the line of duty or like that had, they had served in the, in the military, but it was amazing to me to see, um, like how beautiful it is when widows get together. Like it's, it's something that like, I didn't know, I had no idea that I had this support system available to me that I hadn't been using or these amazing women that, I mean, like, it was like your immediate friends. I feel like you have this, this bond that like, it's a sisterhood. It's a bond. It's like, it's a widow sisterhood. And it's something that like, it takes like five seconds to There's be like, so much oh. unspoken. I don't know if it takes five seconds. I feel like it's just <laughs> instantaneous. It's like, you know, my broken heart. Yeah. You yes, understand all of the pain wrapped inside me. Have, yeah. You don't have to have anything else in common. This nope. is big enough. <laughs> this is a big enough thing that, um, so that's one thing that like, I realized because I had been able to attend that charity and, and over the years, I've been able to take my children to things because there's, there's so many amazing charities for gold star families or for families like ours who've lost their soldier in the line of duty. And then I would come home and there were some widows that I knew in my community um, because I've been doing this for a long time. Because she's <laughs> the widow so, whisperer for Weber County, so, Utah. Well, I don't know about that, but I, I just, you know, it, it's a normal thing to where, like, if so, if that happens to someone you know and love, you want to connect them with someone. Well, and you're you're as known they, as being they, someone who will love us speaking collectively as new widows right back. I mean, there's, there's yeah. some widows who maybe, for whatever reason, don't necessarily want to mentor younger widows, and that's fine. There's no yeah. judgment passed at all. You've made yourself very available, very hopeful 
in helping other widows begin their journey. And I think that's why anyone who knows you and then knows another widow says, oh, my goodness, you need to meet Jen, because most of us now right now I'm a widow, but let's say I wasn't a widow. I wouldn't really know how to help that widow. I would want that widow to have someone that could really walk that journey. And you are you're known for that because you you do that so selflessly and you give of your own emotional you know energy to help other people. Yeah, I think that um, I feel like that's because I was helped a lot by meeting these other women and realizing um, we're uniquely positioned to to support each other and help each other because we can say, oh, like I remember feeling this. This is what I did that helped me. It may not necessarily help you, but here's an idea. Or um, or remembering you know, when you meet a new widow and it takes you back to those first days of remembering how intense that grief is and how, like, it's just really helpful to have somebody who's done that before and who knows what you're feeling. And, um, so I would come home from doing something like that. And I would look around at my other widow friends and there was nothing that they had that compared at all to support. Like there was nothing that was connecting widows to widows. And, and I really feel like, um, the most important thing is just fostering those relationships between widows and helping because I feel like if you, if you get a bunch of widows in a room, they're going to be made, they may gravitate to certain ones. They may not all hit it off, but the ones that do form a relationship, that relationship is going to be really impactful in their life and it's going to be helpful. And there's really not any widows that I haven't learned from. Like I've met, you know, hundreds of widows and, And I feel like I've learned something from every one of them. And so, and it doesn't, it's not like, you know, one person's in charge of sharing all the knowledge. I feel like we all, we all help each other. And it's just, and it really is like a sisterhood. You know, I was an extrovert before I lost my husband and, excuse me. And um, I lost my husband and all of a sudden I found myself going inward. Really, I'm just disconnecting from a lot of my support system, actually, which probably wasn't the safest or best. But I I ended up going internal. And I found and I stumbled upon a group called Widow's Camp. Have you heard of them? They're out in San Diego. And I think they do. I think I have heard of them. They they put on these big seminars. Unfortunately, (laughs) my very first one was the year before COVID. I wanted to go last year. And of course, it was canceled. Um, I think it's going to be something that I participate in probably for a while. There's a lot of benefits of going there. I am so glad. I was so full of so many questions, didn't have any direction or idea or I had, I was just, I felt, you you know what this is. I felt Mm -hmm. absolutely lost. I lost my other person. I lost the person that lost children with me. The person that knew all of the pain and all of the suffering I had been through and all of the joys and all of the champions, I I lost all of that. And so half of every cell of my body was just going, I don't know what to do anymore. And um, I show up to that group and it was so powerful because, you know, you meet people that have remarried. You meet people that have chosen not to remarry. You meet people that have remarried and lost one or two more spouses, mm. which is oh. my biggest fear in yeah. possibly thinking about it. And- <laughs> I know. And I'm thinking, oh, people think I'm strong. No way. I don't. I cannot imagine. 
I've gone out on a few dates and I, I just joke with them from the beginning. It's probably too much too early on. But I, I say, I just have one requirement. I must be the one that dies before you. <laughs> I can't do this again. I refuse to bury, I refuse to bury anyone else. Yeah. And, um, Anyway, but and that's the other thing. You find widow humor. We have a grave yes. sense of humor that is probably seems and it's very, horrifying to other people. Yes, it's horrifying <laughs> to my own children when they hear it sometimes come out of my mouth. But other widowers, they get it, and yes. it's like, oh, yes. I'm not. You know, you go out. Yes. They encourage you to find a group of women and to go out to lunch off site. And I ended up in this really unique group of women we're still in contact today and um it's powerful it's powerful to to understand how different women are and there's no right way to do this journey that's one of the things that i feel like that's one of the things that i tell widows when i meet them for the first time is no one gets to tell you how to grieve no one gets to tell you how to do this you figure out the way that works for you and anyone who's trying to tell you what to do like they they're, I'm sure they mean well, but that's not helpful. Like it's, it's like, and I love that. Um, I know lots of widows who, who grieve completely different than I do. And yeah. that's okay. And you yeah. can respect each other. Yeah. Jen, yes. what, what is resilience to you? What tips I know because you've given me these tips, what tips or ideas would you give to a new widow or if someone's listening and knows a new widow and what is uh, it you hope to do with, with your foundation in, in creating hope and, and bringing widows together? Um, uh, well, I'll answer that really quickly first. I think our, my goal is, is it's really simple. It's just create a way that widows can connect because it's not super easy, especially if you have, young children or it's just, it's kind of weird to try to reach out randomly to widows. So if there's a way, like, so if we do retreats or we do um, events where we get together and, and then it kind of can snowball from there on its own. And so, so the goal for create hope is, is to get these women together in an environment where they can connect and have a real true connection. And then they, you know, we can go from there, whatever they want to do with that. But um, meeting together in person is important and then having a place where they can kind of um, get help online too. Like that's really good for people who maybe won't, aren't ready to meet in person. But like maybe to find some resources support. and some connection. Yeah. And to share resources. That's another thing is I'm, I'm excited. We're building a website to share resources because there's a lot of things out there that you just don't know. I mean, even meeting other widows and saying, Hey, tell me this about social security. Like, that's huge to oh, somebody it's who always know that. Right. And <laughs> it's paperwork. always the question. There's like, lots of, there's emotional help, but there's also like practical day-to-day, like living, just this is how you can do this. Yeah. And all of those things are really helpful. And there's just so much that people don't realize. Like when a, some, a person dies, their debt dies with them. And some, um, depending on, on the state in which you live in, it could be a little bit different, but um. I have come across widows that were like, well, I'm trying to pay off all of this debt of his first, but not, you know, now I'm finding myself in a financial struggle or whatever. I'm like, you didn't have to pay any of that debt. Back. Oh, and that is so much worst. we don't know. We become a widow and, and there's no real handbook of widowhood. Yeah. Well, that's part of the whole reason that I'm a big proponent of financial planning, talking about estate and planning consistently throughout your, your marriage, even when you're young. 
And yeah. um, we should be talking about those things that like when you're married in this state or if you live in this state and we're married in this state, this is the, the this situation. Is this yeah. is how it works when a person passes because there's so many expenses with death in itself. You don't need to be paying one more cent mm-hmm. of no. a debt that and will be cleared. And there's just so much like that's like you don't want to have to worry about that. Yeah. When I, I was grateful that like Brad was prepared. He made me go right when we were married, we went and met with, and I remember saying, I don't want to do this because this is scary. Like you have a scary job. I don't know that I really want to do this. And he was like, no, you need to know that if something happens to me, that this isn't something you need to worry about. Like, we're going to talk and about I'm it ahead so of time. Yeah. I'm so grateful that it wasn't something I needed to worry about because there was a whole big list of things I did need to worry about at that time. Yeah, plenty. So it, it took something off the plate. Well, I, as soon as you guys started talking, I went and looked you up on social media and I, I realized there's uh, just recently, February 26th was Brad's birthday. Yes. And you posted an opportunity for people to help your Create Hope Foundation to give $48 for his 48th birthday. I, I already that. I already donated. Woo-hoo. I did it while oh, I was sitting here listening so and much. talking to you. You I'm, know what? That uh, thank you so much. You're I welcome. That. And that I will tell you really quickly, we um before Create Create Hope Foundation was born, we started um a thing called Operation Surf to Heal. And it was our way of kind of like reclaiming May 1st because May 1st was his, we call it his angel versary. But there's nothing good about that day. Like we're really good at celebrating birthdays and like I want to celebrate his life. But on that day, that was really hard. There was nothing, there was nothing good about that day to me. <laughs> and so it just made it a hard day for lots of years. And we started this Operation Surf to Heal. We just went around and did like little um, random acts of kindness and just thought, um, and we asked people to join us and we did it the year my daughter went on her mission, like in March. So I knew that May was going to be hard because we were going to be missing her as well. And, um, it was amazing that how just like, I felt like we reclaimed that day. Like we could say, you know what, we get to choose the way we're going to feel the rest of these May 1st. And we're going to focus on, um, you know, helping someone else, serving someone else, and, um, and people joined in and it was amazing. So that was kind of like the first like community thing that I did that I thought, okay, people would be willing to, we usually do like a bake sale, but, um, on that day, cause I used to make cupcakes. She um, makes fabulous anyway. cupcakes. <laughs> anyway. So like a, a couple years ago, when we started, when I started create hope foundation, I, on that day, we had the bake sale and everything went to create hope. And it was amazing how people will gather, like they'll just, it, we've been really grateful for the love and support that people have shown. And so thank you so much for looking that up and for donating because it's, that's just, um, it's something that is, it's really meaningful and I appreciate it. Well, I love it. I really want to support you in, in this in any way that I can as it grows and moves f- forward. Um, I think it's such important work and I think we have so much of it to do. We in America have a lot of culturalized ideas about what grieving uh, is and how it should look like. And we don't yeah, talk about it. And do. after a year, you're not supposed to, the grievers not supposed to talk about it. And 
we've talked about this several times on our show already. Like, I'll put something on Facebook and I'll get comments like, I'm so sorry that you're still not over or you're still <laughs> suffering with this or you're still. And oh, I'm like, my goodness. I'm like, yeah. it's, a, it's a, um, well, and that. And it's yeah. education, right? And so, I, you know, it, it does open the door. And I've had really gentle conversations with some of the people that will say that say those things and I'll, I'll, I'll walk them through it and I'll, I'll say this is actually a lifelong pro- process and this yeah. actually is very different than a divorce that person yeah. so, is still walking well, around you were, you were patient because there was a couple years where I just had the mantra of like people are idiots just ignore everything they say <laughs> I was just gonna say that's the first thing Jen taught me if you go to create hope 101 and you're a brand new widow Jen Funk will teach you that people are idiots and she doesn't mean it to be rude right uh, and the thing is is they mean well they just don't know how to support you and yeah. they just are really uncomfortable with you like being sad so they want to like fix it and that's really unhealthy so that yeah. that it really yeah. is the next thing that i tell so people I, is i would use the word ignorant people are ignorant <laughs> um because yeah. yeah you know ignorance is not knowing what you don't know you really just don't you just don't know and and, and that's what people are they're ignorant and so it's unfortunate that the griever is the one responsible to teach the non-grieving yeah. but yeah. that's yes, the situation that's of grief it is. And it's interesting that, I mean, I didn't know that the only people who didn't know how to do grief were like, really were the people who had lost someone, you know, in immediate family loss. Like those are the people that get it. They're like, oh, they didn't ever say those things. Yeah. <laughs> because right. you've been down that road. It. Like you really have to live it. If there's really you not. You really do, which is why I kind of want to break that model through social media, through talking to people. I want to I want to break it. I want to say, you know, it's not really actually helpful to tell me that my husband's in a better place because I'm no. going to tell you that his better place is right next to me. Yeah. <laughs> so we could have a lovely, I could talk to you about that for five years. You know, know. We need to do, we need we to do another episode of all the dumb things you shouldn't say <laughs> or the help the, and the helpful way you could say yeah. something because Jen, yeah. like you I, said, people, whatever mean well. he's doing on the other side is surely more important than his daughter's yeah. having an earthly memory of him right okay yeah or god has a better plan or or uh, god has a plan in place yeah. or whatever and i'm no. like you know no, and, no. and clearly you're lds i am no longer practicing lds but i will say um those are the hardest things and it's it, it is are. it's like actually and, and you don't know your faith well, very well they're so they're so hurtful they yeah have. they're so they're so hurtful and you know it's like I think it's really important for us to say it is okay to feel pain, but in a lot of our culture, and I think especially in the Utah culture as well, we have this idea like if we're, um, if we're doing right, if we're righteous, if we're doing all the things that are good, we're going to be blessed. And if we're blessed, then, you know, this perfect plan must be our life's perfect plan. So we should just happily accept every horrible experience because it's actually for our good. And it's like, yeah, no, that doesn't help. (laughs) It does not help. when When you talk about resilience, that would probably like, I was trying to think of, okay, what's my definition of resilience? And I don't know that I have like a really tied up definition, but I do think like when I look at that, for us, like for what our life looks like now. So I, so Sophie is 15. Um, Addie is 13. Tyler is 26 and married and has the cutest little baby. So I am a grandma. And it's oh, wow. Story. 
but um like when I look at that I think like I um to me part of like resilience isn't the good days it's not the days where I feel like I'm doing okay and um you know at 13 years out I have more good days than bad days now which thank goodness (laughs) because that would be but and I still have those days where where I am where I struggle to function fully and I do what I have to do. And then, um, one of, one of the things I think that has helped me the most is learning to be kind to myself and giving grace where like, and, and I actually had a, um, I had a really neat experience with Brad. He helped me, helped teach me this, but when I would be really kind of like mean to myself of like, you know, get it together and why can't you do this? And, why, you know, like how we kind of sometimes speak to ourselves. And um, he helped me realize that that was really, that really broke his heart when I did that. And he kind of helped me see um, if, if our roles were switched and he was here struggling and trying to, you know, keep this little family together and trying to be here without me. And I was watching like, and, and I remember like feeling it, like thinking like, oh, like, I just want him to know that, you know, how much I love him. And I know he's trying and, and everything that he's doing is okay. And he, anyway, that experience, it really changed me. It, it transformed the way that I treated myself in this grief process. And it made me um, really give the same grace to myself that I would give to someone else. Like if my best friend was going through this, I wouldn't say, you know, suck it up. You can (laughs) get it together. Why aren't you doing better? I would, I would be kind and I would acknowledge that this is hard and it is something that is, um, like I know in our home these days, we have really hard, honest conversations. And like my girls are especially good at asking me a question that just like knocks the wind out of me. Like I, I remember my baby asking me, just a couple of years ago saying like, what is it like to have a dad? Cause they have this really cute relationship with my dad, who is their grandpa. But like me just like, like, you know, sucking breath in going like, Oh, like that is. And, and the thing is, is like, I think that we have to give, we have to give ourselves and like, I have to give my children permission to feel whatever they're feeling. And this is hard. And I'm not going to try to pretend like it isn't hard So a lot of those conversations, like we don't, I might not have a good answer for them, but I can sit and cry with them and I can tell them that I know this is hard and I'm sorry. And I think a lot of like, when I think of resilience, I think that um, it's being honest with how hard things really are, because if we sit in the sorrow and the heartbreak and the things that are hard, it also means that we can work towards recognizing the blessings and the miracles and the joy. Like, I feel like it's two sides of the same coin. Like you can't selectively numb emotions. So you can't just be like, I don't want to feel any of this. So, because I think this is a, you know, this is a bad emotion or I don't want to feel this. So, but what that really does is means that we we don't get to feel the good things either. So I, I know for us, resilience is sitting in that and working through it and talking about it and then just saying okay we're just going to keep going we're going to keep trying whether that looks like 
you know, we can do this for another hour or another day or another week, like whatever feels like we can do, that's what we're, we're going to focus on. And um, being really honest with how hard it really is to me, that's what helps me um, be able to be real and be honest when we do have like the joy and the miracles and the blessings that we can recognize. Like it helps me be able to recognize those if I'm honest about the hard parts. You know, one of the discoveries that I had losing John and going through the whole process in cancer um, was that whole, that joy and sorrow are not separate and you no. can feel them both at the same time. Yeah. And I, you can't really articulate it really to somebody who yeah. hasn't experienced <laughs> it. In that same way, I hear what you're saying about when we don't feel our feelings, we can't feel the joy either. So when we can't feel that emotion that is sadness and hurt and loss, then we're not going to be able to to feel the joy when it also comes. Yeah. And those sometimes can be very separate feelings, um, but they are part of the same thing. If you shut down, you shut down all of it. And so we have to walk through it. I love the fact that you shared with us that you're 13 years out and you still have bad days. I do. I hope and, people and are will... hearing that. I want people to hear that message. It's and 13 you know years out and your daughter um, is saying, what's it like to have a dad? People don't oh. consider the impact of loss, accessory no. loss. You well, lost your spouse, your daughters lost their dad. Yeah. Yes. And it's something that, um, that I, like, they will deal with this forever, just like I will. I mean, Addie was six months old when he died. When he died, she didn't have that original trauma and shock because she was a sweet little baby. Right. But she gets to do it every like she gets to do it at every milestone she hits she gets to do it at every daddy da daughter around date. And, and, and wondering why she's the only one who doesn't get to have a dad here yeah and and that's something that she'll re she'll grieve over that many different times in many different ways in her yeah. life and I think a lot of people don't understand that like they're they've there have been people say things to my kids of like oh well you know that wasn't hard for you because you were a baby and I'm like please never talk to my child again I hope you punch them <laughs> right in the stomach <laughs> <laughs> and, it, and it's just and it really is it's ignorance it's people don't understand but it um I feel like kids have a really good BS meter. Like they, mm -hmm. like I can't pretend like even 13 years out that this is fine and that this is not hard because they would see through that in a second. And yeah. so I just, I think that I, um, we, we do our grief work together. Like if, you know, they probably know if I'm having a really hard day and I talk to them and they talk to me about their hard days and, and I feel like that's how we help each other through this. That's how we walk through. Um, yep. Pretending like everything is great isn't super helpful. <laughs> it might help for nope. a day, but it's not helpful long term. No, and eventually you have to deal with that grief. I think as a, for me, my children were all adults, young adults. And yeah. um, that compounds my grief in a different way. I'm sure, yeah. Jenny, you can relate to this too. Both Jennies. <laughs> um but you can see the grief in, in those children's eyes. And it's, you know, I, I lost my spouse, but I, you have Jennifer, Jenny here in, in studio. 
Taylor Mm -hmm. has the experience of having lost a parent. You have a little bit more compassion, probably a little bit more understanding where I feel completely lost. The, The first people that I really loved that I lost were my grandparents and they were at an old age and they'd been telling us for 10 years I could die any day. <laughs> and plenty of warning. <laughs> so it it was like expected and and willing you know it was like that was a normal process of life. So I didn't have any experience with that and I think that that's a hard thing for me to grasp is how to help my adult children because I have no I don't know yeah. what that's like. Yeah. Well, and you know, I think just acknowledging that we don't know what it's like to me, that's important. Like saying, you know, I have this experience that I have and, you know, you have this different, this experience that I know is different and hard in probably lots of different ways. I think that's the first step of that is, is with anybody's loss is just realizing that it's very individual, um, well, you know, no, when not, I not, first became a widow or somebody had said to me, well, your kids will be okay because they're pretty much adults and um, <sighs> p- kids expect to lose their parent. And that, for some reason, made sense to me at the time. And I feel mm. like I kind of relayed that in some ways. And I really regret that. Mm. But I mean, you just because you don't know, you don't know until you know, you know, so you do wish there was a I think we should all get together and start writing a book on a manual for grief, because I think it would be helpful. The do's and the don'ts. Yeah. Hey, Jen, so much. Jen, I just can't thank you enough for everything that you shared with us today and for what you've done for 13 years in giving back and helping other people. And I'm going to echo what Michelle said about writing the book, but I'm going to tell you, you need to write it and we will buy it <laughs> yeah. and we will read it because we are still learning where you are further advanced in that journey. I love so many things you've taught us about resilience today, about letting it be real, letting it be hard, not just for you, but for yourself, acknowledging that your grief isn't the same as your kid's grief. And that's okay. Acknowledging you're still going to have good days and hard days, and that's where resilience really kicks in. And then looking to the sweet, tender mercies, the memories, the choice to look at those great things you have in your life and not just dwell on the ugly, but not pretending the ugly is not there. I, I mean, really, you I've taken so many notes. Your book's half written from this podcast. Just take it. We'll transcribe it and put it yeah. into a book. But we're so grateful you could join us. We're grateful for the foundation you started this uh, creating hope. We hope everyone who's listening will learn more and get involved, whether you're the one that needs the help and the support or you're the one who knows and loves someone who needs the help and the support. If you like what you've heard as you've listened to us today, we hope you will like and subscribe to our podcast and leave us a rating and a review. We always want to get better and we always want more people to be able to learn and grow with us on these different grief journeys and resilience experiences. And if you or someone you know has a real life experience you're willing to share with our listeners, please contact us. You can find us on social media at Relentlessly Resilient on Facebook and Instagram or rrpodcast at ksl.com. Remember, whatever you do today, remember to be kind. You have no idea the struggles that other people are dealing with in their lives. Thank you for joining us. Have a great day. Till next time.